Well, speaking about missions, let's stand for the reading of God's Word from the book of Acts. It's certainly a book that's all about missions. Verse 1 says, And after five days the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every good way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they're now bringing up against me. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia... They ought to be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. But Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way put them off saying when Lysias the tribune comes down I will decide your case then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was a Jewish and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. 
When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Lord, we thank you for this journey through the book of Acts and how we see the early church on mission with you. Lord, everything about their lives was concerning the mission that you had placed upon them. And Father, I pray that we might catch that same spirit, that same passion. Lord, as we look about us, the multitudes groping about in darkness, Lord, give us a heart for the harvest, the same heart of the Lord Jesus as he saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion for them. Lord, we know that as we go about this task, everyone will not be for it. We see that in these later chapters in the book of Acts. Lord, may Paul's life be an example to us how he stood firm in the faith and never wavered. May his tribe increase even among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you have no doubt read the little book by C.S. Lewis <clears throat> entitled The Screwtape Letters. Now, if you've not read the Screwtape Letters, I'll just kind of briefly summarize what's going on in that book for you. It, it's a book where there are demons who are in training with Satan as to how to come to earth and destroy the human race. There's one story in there I want to point out for you. Satan wants to know what these particular demons, he has three of them before him, and he wants them to state for him what they plan to do to come to the earth and to destroy the human race. One of the demons in training comes to Satan and says, I know, Master, I'll go and I'll tell them there is no heaven. Satan says, that'll never do. The book of truth contains many messages of the hope of heaven through the forgiveness of sins. They know that there's a heaven and a future glory. Across the room, a second demon says, I know, Master, I'll go and tell them that there's no hell. Satan says, no, that'll never do either. While on earth, Jesus spoke more of hell than of heaven. They know in their hearts that wrongdoing and evil simply has to be accounted for. And they know that they deserve nothing more than hell. Then from the back of the room, a third demon in training stood and said, I know, Master, I will go and I will tell them there is no hurry. They have all the time that they need. He's the one Satan chose. Folks, this chapter that we began today, Acts chapter 24, certainly pre presents one of the most tragic examples of procrastination and missed opportunity anywhere in the Bible. 
Felix, the Roman governor of Judea, had the privilege of spending a good amount of time with the Apostle Paul. And yet, sadly, he lets this opportunity slip right through his fingers. There's no evidence anywhere in Scripture or in history that we're aware of that Felix ever came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a number of illustrations like this in the Bible. We could talk about Judas. Judas had the wonderful privilege of spending three years with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry as he was discipling those 12 men. Judas was one of those men who saw the miracles of Christ, who heard the teaching of Christ, and yet in the end he betrayed his master and he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Then there's the case of the five foolish virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The foolish virgins thought that they could hurry up and make adequate preparation to go with the bridegroom and his party once his arrival was announced. But by then it was simply too late. And then there's the crowd that we met earlier in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 17. The scholars of Athens... The leaders of Athens, known as the Areopagus, and they met with Paul, and Paul began preaching the gospel to them. And the Bible says they dismissed Paul and said, We will hear you at some other time concerning these matters. It's the same type of tragedy that we see here with Felix. Folks, we learn from our text today that there is one matter that is more important than all the others. All the others put together. And it can't be put off. It's exactly what the prophet Amos said many years ago. In the Old Testament, he said, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. Now, the first thing I want you to see with me this morning from the first nine verses is the defamation of the Apostle Paul. The defamation of the Apostle Paul. What we notice here is how a Christian can be opposed. Now, folks, this shouldn't be a surprise to us at all. If we were to go back to John chapter 15 this morning and read the words of Jesus to his disciples in John chapter 15, we would see that he told them, the world will hate you because it hated me first. The servant is certainly not greater than the master. Now, what did they do with Jesus? They, they stood him before the authorities. They hurled unjustified insults at him. And they made up lies. In fact, they even produced false witnesses. The authorities, just like here, found no reason whatsoever to condemn the Lord Jesus. And yet they did so anyway, simply to satisfy the multitudes. Well, here Paul is standing before the authorities. The interesting thing is that they even hire a lawyer to argue their case. His name is Tertullus. Now, I read something interesting about Tertullus this week that I'd never read before. When scholars look at the Greek text behind Tertullus's uh, speech here before Felix, uh, they see some of the Latin 
behind the Greek. Many of the better lawyers of the day were trained in Roman oratory, which would have been, in most cases, of course, in Latin. And it's believed that Tertullus was probably one of these high-powered, high-dollar lawyers of the time who is a very skilled debater and an orator before crowds. Boy, now that sounds so 21st century, doesn't it? Sounds like what we witness today. If you have a big case and you can afford it, go out and... Buy yourself the best attorney that you possibly can to argue that your case. And that appears to be what the Jewish authorities have done here. Now that tells me something of the level of the threat they must have seen in Paul. Imagine that. Paul was once one of them. He was one of the best among them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said to the Philippians, he was blameless in all regards concerning the law. But now he's a Christian. And they want to shut him down as quickly as they possibly can. Now I want you to notice how Tertullus begins. He begins with a great deal of flattery over Felix. Now do you think the Jews really believed what Tertullus was saying about Felix? Absolutely not. The Jews hated Felix. He had come in and done some very severe things against the Jews. Some barbaric things. In putting down Jewish revolts. They absolutely despised the man. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote of Felix that he exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. You see, Felix had a slave background in his family. He had risen above his roots, but he never seemed to have obtained the education or the experience or the professionalism to equal the position that he had attained to in life. Now, folks, in modern times, we know that there have been those great towering figures of humanity. Men who rose above their background. They, they rose above dire poverty. Some of them have risen above slavery. Risen above all kinds of terrible circumstances in their lives. And they've gone on to accomplish great things as men and women in the modern age. And many of them show up in our history books today. But Felix was not one of those. You see, he he took this office and the role that he occupied was way beyond his ability. And so apparently he fell back on, he tended to fall back on the only thing he knew about. He was not a leader. What did he know? He knew cruelty. And cruelty is what Felix tended to dish out. I say all of that just simply to point out the hypocrisy in the Jews here and this big gun lawyer that they've hired as they show up before Felix and begin arguing their case before Paul, they're doing nothing but, but hypocrisy and lies to argue their case. He's using flattery. Beware of those who come with flattery. 
When they have something to bring to your attention and they begin by just washing over you with sentence after sentence of how great you are, you better watch out. Probably somebody's just playing you like a fiddle to get what they want. And that appears to be exactly what Tertullus is doing with Felix. Now they begin their argument against Paul and and they call him. Some of your translations may use the word pest. Uh, The ESV is more accurate in in actually translating this word as plague. It's much stronger than somebody who's just kind of pesky. They they see him as being a, a dangerous plague, a plague that can spread and cause severe damage and even death. In other words, they recognize Paul being somebody that could really make a difference for his cause. And indeed he did. God used the Apostle Paul to write most of our New Testament. Now, I want you to notice the blame they cast on on the Roman tribune also that we looked at last week. Claudius uh, Lysias, upon learning that Paul was a Roman citizen, Lysias had him removed from the crowd and put in Roman custody to keep him safe. The Jews and, and their authorities wanted to rip Paul to shreds. They would have probably done some type of lynching right there on the spot in the previous chapter. But Lysias steps in and removes Paul from this unruly mob. And Tertullus expresses some disappointment over that, some anger over that. We would have dealt with him our way, he essentially says, had Lysias not interfered and taken custody of him. Tertullus says, with much violence, Lysias took him out of our hands. The irony and the hypocrisy in that is absolutely astounding. Anyway, Tertullus stands there and and all he is doing is defaming Paul. He accuses Paul of stirring up the Jews. All Paul did was preach the good news about the Messiah that the Jews themselves hoped in. And Paul says the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. He's arrived. And at that, the multitudes went crazy. And so here's a preacher that all he's done is preach the Word of God. And yet now, he's being called a plague. They defame him also by saying he's he's gone in and defiled the temple. Actually, the opposite was the case. Again, if we were to go back a few chapters, we would see that Paul had made this vow along with others. Paul had paid the price of it. He had shaved his head. He had had done all these things according uh, to the Jewish law. And he was going into the temple there to present his offering. He was being a peaceable man at worship when they arrived arrested him and so here they are just twisting things all around what Tertullus and the Jews are doing is not justice folks it's a sham this is a sham that's all it is now folks the reason I spend so much time on that point is to show what I think might lie ahead for us one day I hope not But they did it to Jesus. Tradition says they ended up doing it to his disciples. 
All of them, but John ended up paying for their testimony uh, with their very lives. They did it to Jesus. They did it to his disciples. They did it in the book of Acts with the apostle Paul. And you know what? We might see a day coming one of these days that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to experience the same type of defamation and harassment. We see it now to some degree. Second thing I want you to see is the defense by the Apostle Paul beginning there in verse 10. I think of what Jesus said. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. When you appear in the courts before the judges and the authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say because in that moment the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words that you need. I've heard that verse by Jesus being used to say that teachers don't need to prepare their lessons and preachers don't need to prepare their sermons. Just stand up and wing it. Let it rip. What Jesus said has absolutely nothing to do with that whatsoever. It just means if you, if you are arrested for your faith and you stand before the authorities the way Jesus himself did, the way the Apostle Paul is doing, that the Holy Spirit's going to minister to you and give you the words to say. Exactly what Paul is going through here. Now, notice, I want you to notice how reserved Paul is. No flattery at all. Respect, yes. Flattery, no. Paul states the facts. He points out that if Felix will only work the timeline that Tertullius is given, he'll know that Tertullius is telling a lie. If he would go back 12 days and, and talk to witnesses about what happened, Paul didn't even have time. By the time they, by the time the tribune had stepped in and hauled him away from the mob, there wasn't even time to build this great insurrection the way they're accusing him of doing. Also, there's not a single witness, not a genuine witness who would be able to tell anything about Paul showing up in the temple courts and stirring up the multitudes. Again, he was there to worship. He was minding his own business when all of a sudden he was spotted in the temple and a riot nearly broke out. Now, Paul says, granted, if they want to accuse me of being a member of the way, that's true. I am a member of the way. I, I, I believe the law just like they do. I believe the prophets just like they do. I believe in the resurrection just like they do. Paul is saying everything that they say that they believe, I do too. You can check it out. I was a leader among them. The only difference between me and them is I think Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we've been talking about in the Old Testament. I believe in Jesus. They don't. Folks, what's Paul doing here? He's simply giving a defense. 1 Peter 3.15 says that you and I are to be ready to give a defense of what we believe. What if you this week were called to stand before a hostile crowd or one day eventually? What if you were called to stand before a hostile crowd... And give a defense of your faith in Jesus Christ 
and what you believe in, would you be able to do that? Would you be able to do that? I hope that day never comes, but it might. Now, for sure, if God calls you to be a missionary in some other part of the world where you don't have protected freedoms, you might have to. In fact, that's what some of our missionaries right now are going through. They're living under hostile governments to Christianity. Besides that, even now, you and I need to be ready before the people around us. Some of you work in a hostile job environment. They're hostile to your faith. Some of you even recently have shared with me some of the, some of the opposition that you encounter at work simply because you name the name of Jesus. Some of you are going through that at work. What if a coworker asks you this week, I know you're a Christian. I don't understand Christianity. I don't understand where you're coming from on some of your convictions. Can we have lunch tomorrow? And over lunch, will you sit down and explain to me the Bible? And explain to me about Jesus Christ. Explain to me your faith. And in a reasoned, logical way, would you be able to do that? Folks, that's all Paul is doing here. He's giving an apologia, a defense of the faith. Now, you know, a lot of times I think where you and I go wrong in thinking about a defense of the faith, we think an apologia has to be some dissertation level paper or oral presentation that we'd be able to get up and do. And thank God for those who do that type of thing and write the books and apologetics and all that. But essentially all Paul is doing here in his apologia is giving a kerygma, a, a, a proclamation. A simple proclamation of what you believe. So a defense can be a simple proclamation, a kerygma, a sermon, if you will, of what you believe. Surely anybody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ would be able to do that. If you struggle with that, we'd like to help you. If you'd see me or somebody else on staff, there's some, there's some books that'll help out in this. To do it on a simple basis. If you want to be prepared to do it on a, a much more in-depth basis, I can give you some resources on that too. But folks, I believe the day we live in, again, the, the year might be coming that you and I are going to be called upon to do more and more exactly what we see the folks in the book of Acts doing, what Paul's doing in the book of Acts. Third thing I want you to see, <clears throat> the delay of Felix. The delay of Felix. Pick up with me in verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, 
put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. What we see here is the danger of putting off a decision for Christ. Felix decides he's going to simply wait on Lysias. By the way, we have no knowledge <clears throat> that Lysias ever came. What's Felix doing here? He's just dodging the whole matter. It, it's, a, it's an excuse. That's all it is. Felix knows, as did Lysias, that there's no case here whatsoever. He should have turned Paul loose. But he continues to have Paul held, but with very liberal instructions that Paul can have guessed. But what happens next is what I want to key in on a minute. We, we learn a little bit more about Felix and his wife, Drusilla. Actually, Drusilla had been married to a Syrian leader. And, and when Drusilla was about 15 or 16 years old is, is all, Felix saw her and decided he had to have her. It said that Drusilla was an absolute beauty queen. And here's this young girl, she's just a teenager. She's married to a Syrian. And Felix, the governor, decides he's got to have her. She's married, but never mind about that. Now, there are some writings that suggest that Felix was able to get her with the help of a Cyprian magician, whatever we want to make of that. Well, somehow or another, he wins Drusilla over. She leaves her husband, becomes his wife. We're told here that she knew about the Jewish faith. <clears throat> she knew all about it herself. Now, according to the Western manuscripts, she's the one who made the request wanting to hear more about Paul. You see, our New Testament, there's four main manuscript families. Western manuscripts being one of those families. More than 5,000 available extant manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. Way more than any other writing in antiquity. Not many of those manuscripts are of the whole New Testament. Some might be of the Gospel of Mark. Some might be of the Gospel of John. Some might be a couple of chapters in Luke. More than 5,000 of those. And scholars look at them and they group them together into families by similarities. They may say, okay, these 12 over here that we've discovered all have the identical characteristics together. And we know where they were written, so we put them in this family. Anyway, all of those manuscripts are grouped into four different main families. 
The Western text is known for its verbosity. The book of Acts in the Western text is 10% longer than the book of Acts in the other three manuscript families. The Western text says that it's Drusilla because of her Jewish background and, and knowing about the hope of the Messiah, it's Drusilla that makes the request. And so Paul comes before Drusilla and comes before uh, Felix here and says what he says, his defense of Christianity. Paul begins preaching. And I want you to notice what happens next. Folks, read, read the text with me again. It, it says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge himself of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. What's going on there? You know what's going on there? Conviction. Conviction. That's what's going on. Paul is preaching on righteousness. And certainly that's something that history says Felix knew very little of was righteousness. He was also preaching on self-control. Felix hadn't shown self-control in how he got his wife. She was a looker and he lusted after her and decided that she simply had to be his at all costs. And he also preached on the judgment. There's a payday someday. Some scholars point out here the past, present, and future of salvation. What would righteousness be? Past. The pa salvation in the past tense. How you came to a right standing before God and were reconciled to God, had peace with God. Righteousness would involve that. Self-control would involve what? Your Christian life now. Sanctification. Living out that righteousness. And then the judgment to come would be the consummation of our salvation when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're rewarded with heaven. And of course those who don't know Christ are shoveled out into a Christless eternity. They go to a place called hell. Righteousness, self-control, judgment. The three topics that Felix certainly needed to know about because of the way he was living his life. It was apparent he's a lost man. And Paul's preaching the gospel to him. And he gets to that point. He says, Paul, go away. When Lysias comes, I'll hear more about this. Some translations say he became afraid. People say, oh, you know what? A preacher shouldn't scare anybody. Oh, really? Read the book of Jude. The closing verses of the book of Jude. Jude says, save some out of fear and some out of love. You know what? I think I'd rather... If I was lost, I'd rather be scared into heaven than loved into hell, wouldn't you? Anyway, Felix says, go away. I'll hear you more later. In the meantime, 
text points out here. He wants to get a little bribe too. That was very illegal, but nobody paid attention to it. They did it anyway. Remember the parable Jesus told in Luke 18 about the widow going before the judge? The unrighteous judge that Jesus said he neither feared God nor had any regard for man. And this widow kept coming before him. What people typically did was they'd put something in the judge's hand. He'd say, oh yeah, I'll hear your case next. Come on, come on up to the, to the altar. Come on up to the judge's bench. Here's a little widow who couldn't do that. She had nothing going for her other than her persistence. And the judge finally said, Jesus pointed out, the judge said, if I don't do something for this little widow, she's going to give me a black eye. Now, he's not afraid she's going to duke it out with him and beat him up. It was a metaphor. She's going to ruin my reputation. I'm going to be known in the community as a judge's helpless little widow. I wouldn't do anything for her. So he decides her case. Jesus uses that situation as an illustration of the need for persistent prayer because God is not like the unrighteous judge. If an unrighteous judge can be moved, don't you think the righteous judge of the universe can be moved to hear your prayers? But back then, Lady Justice was all too happy to take her blindfold off if you could simply weigh her hand down with some gold. Felix wants a bribe. Notice even without Drusilla, if she's the one who wanted to hear Paul first, Felix now calls Paul over. and He, he calls him over and over and over again for a period of two years to listen to him. And yet again, we have no record that Felix ever came to faith in Christ. He procrastinates, keeps putting it off. Am I talking to somebody here today? Preacher, okay, enough. But next week you'll come back and want to hear more. And you know, you sit there and you know, you know, you know, you know that you've never been born again. And you're thinking, I need to get that right. I need to. I need to. I need to. And you keep putting it off week after week after week. Folks, there's a callousness that is forming. That's why the book of Hebrews says today, not tomorrow, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. In the Bible, it always speaks of today. You know why? Because we're not promised tomorrow. In James 4, James takes issue with those businessmen and women in the church who say, you know what, today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such city and we're going to buy and sell and we're going to make a profit and boy, we're just going to kick up our heels and live big time in the world. And James says, you don't know, you don't realize that your life is but a vapor. That's all it is. Here today and gone tomorrow. Today's all you got. 
Also, God may not be working in your life tomorrow the way he is now. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. What's the implication of that? He may not always be near to you. He may not always be calling to you. Somebody says, oh, I can get saved anytime I want to. No, you can't. We don't, we don't see that being played out in Scripture that way. You know, I was thinking last night, I'm not sure I know. Maybe you do. If you do, please tell me between services. I'd like to know because I, I'll be the first to say I stand corrected. But I was thinking last night between both the Old and the New Testament, I'm not sure I know of a single case of a procrastinator who the Bible comes back around to say that that person was saved. I was racking my brain last night going through the Scripture trying to think, is, is there the case, is, is there anybody in Scripture, is there even one who put off a decision for Christ that we read about later that they were saved? I can't think of a one. Even for those who are saved, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, redeem the time because the days are evil. Make the most of your opportunities. The truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, you and I don't have all the time in the world. Is there a relationship that needs repairing in your life? You may not have much time to get it repaired. You need to do so now. Is there sin in your life? that has your life in its grips, you need to deal with that. Sir or ma'am, is God calling you to the mission field or to the ministry and you're putting it off? You know you're supposed to do it, but you've got bills to pay. You've got responsibility. You need to at least be preparing yourself for what God might be calling you to do. Is there a friend who's dying and you know that friend is lost. And you keep saying, you know what? I, I need to get over there. I need to get over there. Folks, we live sometimes thinking we're guaranteed 90 years. And we're, we know exactly when we're going to die. I mean, it's the way we live. And we think we can just walk up to that grave. We can die and fall right in. They can put the dirt over us. That we can determine the time. You don't know the time. And I don't know the time. And in our minds, we understand that. But in our hearts, we keep on living like we got all the time in the world. John Piper is even one who admonishes older adults among us. Don't waste your life. Don't go down to Florida playing bingo and shuffleboard and go off into eternity from simply wasting the last chapter of your life away. Do something for Jesus Christ with your life and quit putting it off. But like Felix, somebody might say there might be a more convenient time. And there might be. But there might not be. Are you willing to gamble on that? Would you bow your head in prayer with me this morning, please?
If you're lost, don't gamble with your soul. Being close is not close enough. If you're saved, don't waste your life. What's God calling you to do for His glory? Get with it. Lord, thank you for these sobering words in Acts 24. Words that I believe somebody here this morning needs to hear. We don't have all the time in the world. Help us to see that. To number our days, as Moses said in Psalm 90, that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.